0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup and today we're actually going to be talking on the use case podcast a little bit differently about the the use case of uh, technology and the use case of technology purchasing because we're going to be talking about uh, how consultants actually navigate this this process which is really fascinating to me because I myself to have done and do a lot of vendor selection. So uh, I kind of understand some of that, dynamic. Uh, but it's really great to have our guest on today, Bas. Um, uh, Boss, do, do us in the audience a favor and introduce yourself real quick.
1: Well, my name is Bas van der Houten. I'm a Dutchman and I am an HR recruitment technology consultant. Basically, I help companies and organizations recruit better. That could be getting in more people or selecting better people from uh, the people that are already applying at your firm. And most recently I've been focusing mainly on that, that last part, right. selecting better. Usually that also means selecting without bias, giving everybody a fair chance. And uh, there's an awesome amount of really great technology out there, but because it's so new, um, usually it's a pretty hard sell. So, um, I thought it might be interesting to talk about that today
0: hundred percent one hundred percent, and it 's a different vista you know as a consultant, you sit in between, so you 've got the practitioners you know as as people that you serve, and then you 've got tech, technology vendors and people that you serve and and you like both parties clearly, um, but sometimes there 's a budget and uh, and there 's a lot of tools and there 's all kinds of uh, resources that you 're available and then sometimes Uh, Not so, and as you and I both know, because we've walked into these scenarios, there's politics, uh, and there's contracts, there's money involved, and uh, a complexity that if you've never been a consultant – you, you don't you don't really understand it because uh, to to be in that position to both be trusted by by both parties in, in some mm. ways to do the right thing and to make the right thing happen, um, you also walk in and see on the practitioner side you get you, you get to see all the warts you know what's yeah. been done well processes that work collaboration or team environments that are awesome and. Uh, occasionally you get to see the other side of that where there's not a great technology stack Uh, there's Mm -hmm. not great chemistry amongst the team or there's really horrible broken uh, processes etc so let's uh, Um, I know you had for for
1: some reason I usually get get a lot of uh, um, customers from the last because (laughs) um, that's also has to do with my reputation I mean I'm known as a really difficult consultant because I don't just go with senior management I go with what's right for the company so senior management is like okay we can't get go any worse we, we probably screwed this up so much by, by well, let's get somebody in who's gonna tell us what it is you know where we did wrong because apparently we did so and I must admit, I've been also um, doing a lot of work at governments, and I don't know if you've done ever worked for for governments. Uh,
0: I have not. No I've worked well, in government but I've never done technology purchases or implementations for government which and then, and then I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I'm not sure I have that personality <laughs> boss
1: Honestly I didn't either and um I I've, I've actually learned that um every government or semi-government organization has a, a a department which I at some point start calling the department of problem creation and um <laughs> As soon as I start calling them that, they actually take me out of that part of the process because they know I'm going to get into a fight, which is completely fine with me. But they, and, and on some levels, I understand it. I mean, uh, the governments have an extra responsibility when it comes to privacy. For example, right. Um, right. And there's no way that a ministry or a university can not be 100% GDPR proof in, in the Netherlands. And I've, fully get that, yet you've got the GDPR and you go on top of the GDPR. You've got the European rules of uh, purchasing and they tend to make it even more strict.
0: So. Well. And you said privacy, but it's, it's security, it's privacy. You've got uh, with the EU, with uh, the Netherlands, uh, you've got all kinds of great... <clears throat> y'all have great... I actually consider your, your privacy laws and your data laws, GDPR being one of them. I actually think that that's the way that we should all go. So um, I, I, I think yeah, I think we should in, all in, be... The a,
1: theory about it, I agree, okay. but the, the actual... Way it's implemented um, in the the basic theories, I fully agree with yeah. you. Is fantastic how we did that. Yet um, they, as European Union usually does, let so many loose ends, <laughs> which leave so much room for interpretation. Um, to well, not not, to, but to give you one. A really simple example: um, All data needs to be stored within the EU. So, um, but now, as you know, the UK is leaving the EU, so we might have an issue uh, uh, there. But uh, also, um, the way they then start asking questions. For example, uh, we recently had a purchase where they asked our supplier, "Where is your uh, application hosted?" To right. which the supplier said, "Well, um, in the UK." In the Netherlands and in Australia to where our, my client completely went nuts because Australia of course has a very different privacy law where they basically say you have no privacy as a citizen at least not for the Australian government and we need a backdoor and everything so um, my Dutch government uh, AGC I was helping went completely nuts to which the supplier said yeah but your data isn't going to Australia um, so they said, yeah, but how can you say that the application is hosted there? Well, because for our Australian clients, we hosted in Australia. You didn't ask where will your data be hosted. That will be hosted in the Netherlands. And it took about three or four months to convince them it wasn't a backup, but they asked right. the wrong question. Right. And this is in part a problem with privacy. Um, there's no set framework yet. Right. Which means they're asking questions which, which are... Often multiple interpreter, uh, interpreter Yes. And well, you, usually the buyer has a different way of interpreting it than the seller had when he answered it.
0: Well, and that's, that's one of the, that's the things with U.S. laws as well, like even can't spam, um, you know, the email law that that we have about, uh, you know, there's been all kinds of interpretations and that kind of gets down to, you know, how you is, how you want to interpret the law. And then also, let's deal with the kind of the dark side of that is, well, what if we get caught? So what? like what 's really going to happen, and uh, the penalties of of canned spam for years weren 't really that much, so people would look at it, especially people that would that were, were more on the nefarious side would would be like who cares like oh, okay, we get caught it 's a five thousand dollar fine, yeah, okay, I think we can pay that so they they just they blew past canned spam. Uh, because the fi- the penalties were not prohibitive enough um, let's let's get let's get back to because I'm very interested in both these stories that we're going to talk about one of which when you're uh, uh, consulting into an agency where they didn't have the budget of which they probably wanted to or should have had yeah, um, well, take me into that experience
1: well um, I was uh, consulting uh, two days a week at a university and basically my my job was improve our recruitment. Um, so it started with uh, we need more applicants. And I, well, basically I, I did a little too good a job on that uh, to which we all of a sudden had 200 people applying uh, for a PhD job. So now we have a selection problem, um, which was actually the thing I, I was really uh, looking forward uh, to because I actually believed that, the biggest value I could add to this organization was helping them select better PhDs. Um, And we had to make uh, a use case, a business case there. So we we talked to vendors um, and and a few of the suppliers, uh, you probably know uh, the type of organizations, uh, things like Biometrics, Cognizis, Arctic Shores, uh, those kinds of companies. And it turned out uh, the price was gonna be about Uh, 100 grand at least, uh, between 100 and 150,000 euros per year. So there was no budget for this because we never did any assessment stuff whatsoever. So everybody was like, that's a lot of money. No, I mean, you got to imagine the only piece of recruitment technology we had was an ATS and that was a low budget ATS. So everybody was like, where are we going to get that money? And I simply did the numbers. First, I said, okay, so we know that 75% of all our PhDs don't finish within the four years uh, a PhD should last. Um, This is, by the way, Dutch national average. Um, So everybody says, yeah, but that's okay because we can't do it any other way. And I'm like, well, if 25% do, it's obviously possible to finish within four years. So... Let's see if we can find more of those 25%. But I went to um, the the salary department and I simply asked them, how much money are we spending every year? Officially, we weren't allowed to pay any PhD past the four years, but unofficially we did. There's always um, the exception which, which, which makes the rule, right? So I simply asked them, how much money are we paying to those 75 or a few of those 75% that don't make it, turned out that was about a million bucks a year. So I said, okay, so if we actually are able to lower that by only 10%, we've got our money back. And right. then I found out, which was actually because nobody believed we could lower it by 10%, because that was my first use case, right? And everybody said, no, because this is national average and it's impossible to you know, go from the national average. And I'm like, well, it's an average because there are ups and downs, but that's, uh, I got into an academic discussion. And then, um, I found out that actually the, um, the Dutch PhD system grants every university 80,000 euros for every PhD. We give their PhD. We have an output financing. Right. Right. Um, and, um, that's the reason by the way we don't there are not that many dropouts because basically it's better to give somebody who isn't really fit their phd because at least you'll get the funding back um but um we do have dropouts Uh, a few uh, we had uh, a few hundred i think a year or about a hundred so if the total cost is about a hundred grand and um I, get, and if I, hire, I make sure there's one less mishire who quits. I get back 80 grand. The business case was actually pretty easy. Right. And it's a really simple sell to upper management to say, okay, the only thing we need to do is make sure that one less person that we hire filter out those few people that every time when they quit, we always say in hindsight we could have seen this coming, right? That's that's what they always say. We could have seen right. this coming. Right. I should have uh, not let go of this specific character trait, which we know is is really bad. And that's the only thing we're going to do. We're going to make it. We're going to measure the character traits. So, um, and that was a pretty easy sell actually to to tell them like, okay, can you believe that we'll be able to not um, select at least once a year, a really bad hire. Right. And everybody was like, yeah, one less is pilot, of course, of course, <laughs> you know, one less. I'm like, okay, now we already pretty much made our money back. If it's two less, we're actually making money. And if we're also shaving off those four years, we're actually making an insane amount of money on using this technology.
0: What I love about this is it gives a way, a framework and way of showing not just a cost savings, but okay, a bad hire. What is a bad hire? And then, you know, you, you basically, okay, so you had all that recruiting costs and then you had the onboarding costs and you had the training costs. And then you had, so you kind of walk them through, hey, listen, it isn't just a bad hire. Like we could have used that spot for another person and been more productive, which would have been great in and of itself but it's like looking at all of the ripple effects of just one bad cost and then how to support a technology purchase that basically helps us not make a bad, not make a bad hire. Yeah. And,
1: and the beauty is by the way, you need it um, in academia. I don't know if you've ever worked yeah. in academia, but that's a really, really different world from any others. Uh, the, the I mean, uh, professors are like the hiring managers, but they believe that academic freedom also applies to every ac- uh, right. administrative process you have. So basically, telling yeah. them to have structured interviews, no way. Telling them to have interviews might actually be a problem. more. Uh,
0: um, well, well, so much of it also. I, I worked uh, just a bit as a grad student, a uh, graduate TA and teaching classes. So much of it is based on their opinion, like I found professors yeah. to be some of the most biased of employers because they would look at, you know, the pedigree or somebody's reference or something like that rather than actually looking at do they have the capabilities to do the job? Like well, yes. as you would at a normal like technology startup.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I must admit that in this specific university, um, one of the reasons this project really got launched was that one of our absolute top professors, basically, um, if this university is ever going to get a Nobel, it's for this professor. He's a genius in his field. And uh, on the one hand, he's the most narcissistical personality you can ever meet. On the other hand, he was extremely analytical. And he said, listen, I have a 20% dropout rate. Now, because I'm the very best in my field, every perfect master in the world wants to do its PhD with me. That's what he literally said. He says, I right. have, I mean, the, the, if you put a Donald Trump voice on it, he had the best, the greatest, the most awesome applicants there were. But he also had an insane amount of people not finishing their PhD because, so he literally said, um, I must be bad at selecting. That was his. Analysis. And we're like, yeah, to be honest, we already figured that one out. We're really glad you figured it out as well. So he said, help me. Oh, obviously, I've looked at the science, and obviously assessments are what's the best predictive uh, um, helping here, uh, you know, the best predictive value for, for, for uh, selecting people. Um, help me. That was his words. And having a top professor supporting you on this is of course great. And then of course, uh, every university basically has a psychology department. So I had a a professor of psychology helping me with the selection of the tools, saying, you know, saying, yeah, this is academically validated testing to all the other professors. That helps. That helps. But the beauty, and this is uh, also very important for the use cases. So we had to sell the money to management but we had to sell the usage to uh, the professor, the hiring managers. Right. And we did that with one simple sentence, which was completely unscientific, but everybody loved it. We simply asked them, do you think that those few people that graduated on time within those four years, delivered higher academic quality on average? And they all were like, yeah. Yeah, definitely, because you get stressed and then some get into money trouble when they don't finish on time and stuff like that. So we said, okay. so basically you're saying that if we select people who tend to graduate within four years, which this technology will help us do, we're going to get a better academic quality. That was the best sell to, to the academics
0: well let's let's move to the the other side of uh story uh, where you've consulted where the environment where money necessarily wasn't a problem so well
1: this was at a ministry right um actually the dutch ministry of foreign affairs i'm still a consultant there and i'm allowed to talk about this because uh, the dutch um senate has recently been briefed on what we're doing which was a very interesting surprise to all of us that there was all of a sudden a letter to the Dutch Parliament <laughs> explaining that we're innovating in recruitment, and all of a sudden our case study was mentioned, <laughs> which which is really interesting that you, that you like. Okay, apparently we're somebody. Some politician needed to tell people that he was doing a better job, and he. But um, so um, what we did there is they had they already had assessments and there was no problem. They, they had a pretty big budget for assessments and they sent every last candidate on a day's assessment because they said, listen, science tells us that assessments are the most predictable there are. So we need assessments, but because we can't spend millions on it, we're not going to send five or 10 people per job. We're just going to send the one we actually already selected. And then they got a new head of recruitment who doesn't have much HR experience. And he said, I think that's quite strange to send the candidate we've already selected on an assessment and spend a lot of money on that. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's pretty strange as well. And then he heard me on uh, talking on an event and he said, so you're telling me that using modern technology we can take the assessment to the very first stage of the application, yeah. And so we're getting the highest predictive value, not at the end when we already deselected all the talents, but at the very beginning, yeah. And of course a digital assessment isn't um, the, the full quality of talking a day with a psychologist and stuff like that. We're not comparing um, the full uh, uh, assessment to a game-based assessment, which we're now implementing. But uh, the case was very simple. We already had the money. The budget wasn't an issue, because the budget was now spent at the end of the process. And the very simple question which was asked was um, if we take the most predictive part of the selection process from the end to the front, even if it's 20 or 30% less quality because there's no psychologist in there. There's no uh, um, play, you know, uh, 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 in there. Um, But we apply it to each and every candidate. Will we get in better candidates? And that was actually a pretty easy sell that everybody said, yeah, of course, if we can give every candidate an assessment, the quality will go up. I said, well, we can, we already have the budget. So there it was more a question of believing that um, a little less quality product, but for basically uh, 500 to 1,000 times more people, would give us uh, more quality. And um, the, the other really good sell uh, at the government, at, at least at the Dutch government, um, they tend to hire people with government experience, because right those actually know political sensitivity and they understand the, 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 the culture and everybody says literally, we want people without government experience. we want the outside knowledge to come in. We have a problem getting the outside knowledge in that's in every statement in every report, in every consulting they say you need to hire more people from Business, you hire, need to hire more people with no government experience to to, to refreshen the, the the pool. And in the end, they're all scared. In the end, and uh, I've actually seen it happen so many times that they um, because um, the the um, what's the name? Sorry, um, the, the, the trade unions. They still have a big uh, say in what the government can and can't do for government hiring. The trade union says every government job needs to first be offered to other government uh, employees. Right. So so, um, what they actually do is uh, a hiring manager says, I want a non-government employee for my team. So he simply rejects every candidate in the first two weeks because the first two weeks it's only open for government employees. He rejects them all, all of them. Period, because he, he wants outside. Then it goes to the outside and they start paying money to promote it. And all the candidates get in, and he ends up hiring somebody with government experience because he's just not sure that somebody from a corporate has political sensitivity to work, the ministry. And that's what happens so often. So in this case, I said, listen, one of the things we can actually test is organizational sensitivity. That's actually you know, that's a character trait. We can test it in game-based assessments. So we take away the scare that somebody does or doesn't have it. So we open up the market. The, the, we, we help the hiring managers loosen their, their fear of not hiring outsider, outsiders while everybody is in agreement that having a few more outsiders would make it better.
0: So, so first of all, I love and in time has flown, uh, I love both scenarios because of the way that you've worked with them within their systems and within their constructs to help them navigate, um, you know, technology purchases, but also making them better at hiring. Uh, parting advice uh, that I'd like to get from you, boss, is um, for consultants. You know, when you walk into a scenario. Um, What is your advice that you would give them to help them both help the practitioners and also help them with the vendors? What would be your advice to consultants?
1: Well, first of all, always look at the money. Uh, Eventually, how, how annoying this might be, money talks in an organization. And if you can either deliver more quality for the same amount or deliver the same quality for less amount of money it's going to be a very easy sell um, they already said it at the watergate scandal. follow the money well that's
0: <laughs> it that is perfect uh this is this has been great and it's flown by boss i appreciate it i know it's a little bit later on in the day for you um, uh, and i appreciate you coming on the show and also, I please I appreciate the vista in which you operate, and uh, and will educate the audience. Because again, what we're trying to get to is how do these things happen, and consultants make up a really important part of that uh, uh, that process, and can make up a really important part of the of the of the use case and how we purchase technology. So thank you, thank you again for your time, and I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And everyone, until next time, thank you again for listening to the Use Case Podcast.
1: You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform
0: and hit us up at RecruitingDaily.com.